This January, over 750 OA members gathered in Los Angeles for OA's 50th birthday party. Events included keynote speakers, multiple long-timer panels, workshops, a big book boot camp, and even an appearance by Roseanne S. If you'd like CDs or MP3s of any or all of these sessions, go to OA50th.org and then follow the link to the recordings. That's OA50th, O-A-5-0-T-H.org. Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Lee Sam. Hi, I'm Lisanne. I'm a compulsive overeater and a bulimic. Hi, Wow. I'm going to take this off. I'm a little warm. It's good to be here tonight. It's so funny. I'm always fine until right before I have to get up here, and then my heart starts pounding, and I feel like everybody can see it, you know? I don't think you guys thought that right. My perception. It is a disease of perception. I want to thank my sponsor, Leslie, for asking me to do this. What an honor to speak at this meeting. My God, really. So yes, I am a compulsive overeater, and I want to welcome you if you're new to this program. This program has changed my life from the inside out, and that is a miracle. I also want to congratulate the chip taker and Michael, who I came in in 2002 as well to this room, and uh, you were here, and I remember. So it's good to see you. I get nervous and my mouth gets dry, so I need water. Okay, so I'm a compulsive overeater and a bulimic, and I'm always curious about people's abstinence whenever I hear people speak, so I'm just going to share a little bit about that with you. My abstinence today is not throwing up no matter what. I've had many different abstinences, in, um, and I have two and a half, little, I think I have two years and like nine months of abstinence this time around, so I'm, I'm a retread as well. I've had all kinds of, I had three meals a day, no snacks, I had three meals a day with a snack, I had, uh, don't, you can eat whatever you want, just don't throw up no matter what, that one's fun, that one's really exciting and, you know, creates a little madness, you know. Um, I've also uh, weighed and measured very diligently, and, um, and, and today, I, I still do, I still do weigh and measure a lot of my meals, they're not perfect, I don't do it all the time. I don't do it as rigidly as I did, you know, if it's like 8.1 ounce. Um, I used to, like, be really diligent about it. And today I'm like, hey, you know, God's watching. It's all good, you know. Uh, the .1 isn't going to throw me over the edge. If it does, then I'm in big trouble because uh, it can't be all about that. And it's not about the food unless I'm in the food. And then it's about the food, you know what I mean? For me... What I've learned through my experience in this program is that part of my spiritual condition is contingent upon what I'm eating. When I am in the food, I'm out of my mind. Crazy. Because I can't, like I'm constantly trying to figure it out or thinking about it or thinking about what it's doing to my body or thinking about what you're thinking about my body. And, you know, I've lived in that madness for so many years. The fact that I am free of that today is a freaking miracle. A miracle. 
You know, I love to share this. It's my favorite thing to share. I am six pounds over my suicide weight, and I don't care, you know. <laughs> to me, that's like, you know, like, I don't know if everybody identifies with that, but I think that anorexics and the bulimics would identify. Like, there's a certain weight that if I ever get there, I have to kill myself, and I'm six pounds over that. So, And I'm alive, and I, and I really, really don't care. I don't want to care about it anymore. And as long as I stay abstinent... And, and have, you know, have work the tools of this program, it's not gonna, it's not gonna get out of hand because this program works. It does. If I show up and I, if I eat the things that, that work for me, I'm okay. You know? I can make bad choices and, you know, one of the things my sponsor always says is, you know, we can make bad choices, but then we have to suffer the consequences of that. And if that means I'm obsessed for a couple of days or I'm, you know, for me, my big fear is that it would trigger the obsession and I won't be able to, you know, and the compulsion and I won't be able to stop. So my food is a big part of my program of recovery. I know what works for me and I know what doesn't and I stay away from the things that don't because I don't, I can't live on this planet and be out of my mind in the food. I can't. I've done it. I've done it. I've come from other recovery programs and have a lot of time. In, uh, in those other programs, and I only have two and a half years here, so um, I've lived in recovery crazy in the food, and it doesn't work for me. I, I can't do it anymore. Plus, I'm getting too old for this insanity. So, so what it was like, you know, I grew up in an alcoholic home, and that doesn't make me a compulsive overeater. It makes me a little nuts, but it does not make me a compulsive overeater. Both my parents drank, and, you know, it wasn't, it was scary. Like, it was scary growing up in alcoholism. You never know what's going to happen. It's, it's, you know, like, I was just thinking about the, the other day. I remember, you know, I was a little girl, and, like, people would leave, and then they wouldn't come back. Or they'd come back, and they'd have, like, bandages on their head, you know. And as a little kid, you don't know what's going on. So um, I had to find ways to cope with my, my home life. The environment I lived in wasn't safe. And I really got into, like, reading and, and um, school and fantasy, lived in fantasy a lot. My parents separated at one point, and um, I, I didn't have issues with food as a really, I mean, my issues with food as a young kid were, were like, I didn't like certain things. Like, I'd only eat white cheese, not yellow cheese. I love yellow cheese now. Um, I remember one time, my sister made me a grilled cheese sandwich. I was really little, and it didn't look right to me. It just didn't look right. And so I got angry, and I attacked it with my fingers, and I got hot melted. I got burned because I had hot melted cheese all over my fingers. So that was kind of my relationship with food as a kid. You know, if I didn't like it, I attacked it. Um, and I remember I had a little friend who um, had a can- like her family had a candy drawer in their kitchen, and I loved hanging out at her house. And uh, we'd always get to go and sneak in the candy drawer. And sometimes I would sneak in there, like, when nobody else was around. But I never had a weight problem as a kid. I was actually skinny. Like, I got tall and really skinny. And I was really embarrassed about my legs because they were really thin. And my sister made a comment once about um, my knobby knees. And I swear to God, I didn't wear shorts or skirts or dresses for, like, until I was in my 30s, I think. I failed PE every year because I wouldn't dress, I wouldn't wear the shorts. You know, that, that, that's like, that's insane, actually. I, I, I've been thinking about this, and, you know, I didn't start having food problems until I was about 17. And 
we lived with my mom for a while. She was she was gone all the time, so my dad came and and took us, and we lived with my father. There were I have two older sisters and a younger brother, and one of my sisters, the middle the middle sister, she was acting out a lot. Somebody once said to me, yeah, she was she was the one the voice that was screaming about the alcoholism in your home. Um, she was screaming with her actions. We would get evicted from apartment buildings. She would steal people's bikes. You know, there was always some kind of drama around my sister, and I loved her. She was, like, one of the things that I used to live in my life. Like, I focused on her. I protected her. I, in my home, she was always getting in trouble, and I always felt like she got the raw end of the deal, so I was always, like, standing in between her and my dad. And, you know, she'd be out late, and I'd sneak her back in the house. I mean, she was, like, she would run away, and I would go out and find her and try to try to get her to come home. So, and the reason I bring that up is because I realized that she left home for good when I was about 16, and that's when my food step started. I needed a new tool. <laughs> so, um, my sister left home, and I, I remember the first time I ever made myself throw up, I was with my boyfriend. We had just had an intimate exchange, and I didn't feel good, and I... We had just had, you know, we had had lunch earlier, and and I I went in the bathroom, and I stuck my finger down my throat and made myself throw up, and that was the very first time I ever threw up, and um, and it didn't, it didn't, it progressed over time, and I remember it, it just started getting worse and worse, and I started, like, part of my story is that I, you know, I drank and used a lot, too, so I used a lot of tools to just be on the planet. I drank, I used drugs, I... I threw up, I focused on you, I, you know, I did all kinds of things. So I started to um, buy food and hide it in my room. And then at night I would, I would come home from like a night of drinking and I would binge in my room and then I would go throw up. And um, I remember there was this, we lived in this house and we had this really big bathroom and it had carpeting on the floor and it had this huge window and this, <laughs> the sun would be shining through, and it was so warm and toasty. I loved that bathroom. Like, I just loved going in there and doing my thing. I left home when I was about 18, went to, on a date with my boyfriend, and I just never came back. My dad had remarried by that time, and, um, and me and my dad just didn't get along, so I left. I didn't take anything with me. I didn't have any clothes. I didn't have anything just the clothes on my back, and um, went and lived with this guy. You know, I, I wasn't a daily drinker, but I was a daily eater because we have to eat every day, and I had to find ways to be secretive. My boyfriend worked during the day, and, and I did not work. I was like a non-functioning, <laughs> compulsive overeater, bulimic, alcoholic, drug addict, and I just didn't, I didn't know how to do anything. I'd never had a checking account. I'd never, like, I couldn't keep jobs because I would end up, you know, working in a restaurant and stealing the beer out of the refrigerator and drinking it in the bathroom so I could, because I'd been up all night and I needed to stay loaded so I could do my job and then I couldn't do my job so then I'd get fired. So I could you know, I just couldn't keep it together. So I spent a lot of time at home during the day while my boyfriend was working and I would just eat and throw up and watch TV, eat and throw up, watch TV, eat and throw up. That was my life. And then on the weekends we'd party. You know, I always thought that my... Um, that my my bulimia was about uh, controlling my weight, and um, and I'm, I don't know if that's true because um, as time progressed, I mean it always did, 
But what I realized when I got into OA was that if you took away the behavior of throwing up, I would have been 300 pounds the way I ate. So, um, so I guess it did control my weight, but I, I don't, I, I'm not sure. I mean, I can't get into the, trying to figure out what it was about. Um, my relationship with that guy ended, and I, um, went back to live at, I went back to live with my father, and he had gotten sober by this time. I remember one night, uh, I had been out all, all night one night, and he came into my room the next morning and just said, get up, get dressed, get out. And he kicked me out, and so I went and lived with my mother. I lived with her for a little while, and um, just running around, you know, I got some little job, and I was, you know, going out drinking every night and using all my money to drink, and then I was coming home and, and, you know, binging and throwing up. We lived in this little one-room studio-type apartment. I don't know how she didn't know, but um, eventually I moved out from staying with her, and I moved in with a friend of ours, a mutual friend of ours, and um, this was the first time that, that um, anybody confronted me about what I was doing. We lived in this in this house in Silmar, and, um, and I was renting a room from her, and it was one ba- there was one bathroom in the house. And um, one day she came she came to me and she asked me, "Are you growing up?" And I was like, nobody had ever asked me that before. Nobody had ever said anything to me about it before. And I was kind of like, "How does she know?" And you know, it's kind of messy actually. And if you don't clean up after yourself, people will know. And there's nothing pretty about being a bulimic. Seriously, it's pretty disgusting behavior. So, you know, she confronted me. She called my mom and told my mom. And my mom took me to my first OA meeting. And this was like, I was maybe 20 at the time. And so my mom took me to my first OA meeting somewhere in the valley. Don't remember. There were people there. I remember there was like an actor there. And we went around the room and, you know, and my mom, of course, my mom's like, I'm just here with her. (laughs) Oh, my God, it was great. You know, and so I sat through that meeting. I don't remember anything that was said. I don't remember hearing anything about steps. I don't remember hearing anything about God. I was, like, completely, like, I don't remember anything except for I saw an actor in the room. That's all I remember. And, you know, I ne- like, my mom never had me go back. Nothing ever came of that. And so I just went, you know, continued with what I was doing. Fast forward to, um, to... Uh, I, I, I was 25 years old. I got pregnant. I was drinking. I was using. I was throwing up. And actually, I, I stopped throwing up while I was pregnant. Cause I, you know, I mean, I was drinking. I was smoking crack. I mean, it was really bad. And uh, and I stopped throwing up so that you know, because I was having a baby. I mean, you know, you're gonna get fat anyway, right? And I, uh, you know, so I ended up having this baby. And um, about 15 months later, you know, we, we lived in, it was a horrible, horrible time. It was my bottom. We, uh, we lived in a, in a van for a while because we lost our apartment. And, um, and I just had my moment of clarity. Uh, we were in a motel room and some stuff happened. And I, I just knew I couldn't live like that anymore with this child, you know, this kid, this innocent kid. So I called my dad and he came and got us. And I went into a rehab and I got to take my son with me. So I'm in this rehab and I'm, you know, trying to stay sober, but I'm still throwing up regularly, like all the time, like finding bathrooms I can go to and just continuing to act out in this behavior. And finally I actually told somebody about it and I got sent to a um a therapist. 
and so I started to try to stop. And um, I think I, I remember I had this calendar, and I was supposed to mark an X on every day that I didn't throw up. And so I did that, and um, it, it was about 30 days, and then I just, I, you know, I didn't want to do it anymore, so I started the behavior again. So um, I left that program, and I, and I, you know, got an apartment, and I was sober, and I was, you know, started attending AA and going to meetings and, you know, doing the stuff we do in 12-step recovery to, uh, to get well, and I still was continuing to throw up. So the truth of the matter was, I was sober for a very long period of time and was not present in my life at all. You know, I had this child, I was in a relationship, I was working, I was doing all of these things, and I was not present in my life at all. So uh, eight years into, into this, I, I saw a movie or something on TV, and it scared me. It was about a girl that was throwing up, and she... She got hit by a car or something, and she had a heart attack and died, or I don't know. But I was like, oh, my God, I could die from this. Wow. You know, because it was like the only normal life I ever knew. I didn't know, you know. But I just, I didn't want to do it anymore. And I think I talked to a sponsor about it, and I remember she said to me, this is going to be funny. I don't think I've ever told my sponsor Leslie this, but um, she said to me, if you don't stop, I'm going to make you call Leslie and have you go to OA. I was like, no way. And I swear to God, I stopped throwing up for like two years. Two years. (laughs) Look at Leslie. I was just like so afraid and intimidated. She's so like, I don't know. Anyway, she's fantastic. But I was afraid. So I was scared straight. And and, and I I stayed abstinent for... um, well, I, didn't, I wasn't absent. I just wasn't throwing up. Now, here is where it got nuts for me. I stopped throwing up, but then it's like, oh, the food. The food was like, I realized, like, oh, if I eat, I gain weight, and I don't get to get rid of it. So it became a whole new obsession for me of, like, dieting, finding the perfect diet, obsession with my weight, my body, just total insanity day in, day out, day in, day out. I was constantly trying to figure it out. I did like the zone diet, sugar busters, carb addicts, you know, I ate spinach so much, like uh, steamed spinach so much that I swear to God I can't eat it ever anymore, ever, because it makes me gag. I would like eat spinach for lunch, and then I would eat at night, you know, because on carb addicts you could like, you know, carb it up on your last meal. It's very exciting. And um, and then... Um, So I was just, I was crazy. I was constantly thinking about food, constantly on the Internet doing research and searching and counting calories and, you know, stepping on the scale in the morning and then stepping on the scale at night and then stepping on, you know, just like, oh, my God, it was insane. And eventually I couldn't do that anymore, and I started binging and throwing up again. Um, So what happened was I had 11 years of sobriety. I I was dying in AA, got a new sponsor. She sent me to another 12-step program to help me with my issues with the effects of alcoholism. And within 60 to 90 days of being in that program, I quit smoking, and I I called Leslie, (laughs) and I got abstinent. And so that was my introduction into OA, and I started coming to meetings and – Working the steps and, you know, in my early recovery, it was all about not throwing up and just being willing to allow food to sit in my body and just to, you know, let the chips fall where they may. 
you know, I felt really crazy a lot of the time. I was so angry. I was so angry, man. I was just like, you know, I don't want to be like this. I don't want food to be an issue for me. It's so uncool, you know. I'm a compulsive eater. Yay. <laughs> Let's party. I mean, it's so like, get your bag of cookies. I mean, what? So, um, so nothing cool about it. You know, at least in AA, that you know, people have tattoos and it's like cool. And people are like, you know, running people over with their car. And, you know, it's crazy and cool. But, you know, in OA, you're like on your couch with the remote, you know. <laughs> Hanging out, going in the bathroom every once in a while. It's just really not cool. So, um, so, so there I was, new in a way, and I was, you know, working the steps and, and trying to figure out, like, what my deal with food was. I just didn't get it. You know, I worked with Leslie for about three years, I think it was, and <clears throat> there was something in me that was telling me I needed more structure. And so I asked this other woman to sponsor me, and she put me on one of the Dignity of Choice food plans, and I was doing that for a while, and um, and that worked okay. I was still kind of nuts, and I, I didn't feel like my body was right, you know, and I, you know, I didn't really, wasn't relieved of the obsession with my body. And I ended up, what ended up happening was I met a man, and I um, got married. And that relationship was very volatile. It was very crazy and very very nuts and I ended up losing my abstinence we, we moved from LA to Florida and I, you know I was thinking about it today I don't I'm not sure what the timing was we, we moved we moved to Florida in July and and I'm not sure when I started throwing up but I got abstinent again by October so it was it was like three months three months of insanity and vomiting and and hiding food and like you know, like I had this this little pantry that I'd hide my cookies. It was all about the cookies, you know. I'd hide my cookies. They, nobody else was allowed to know where they were. And I would binge when my husband was not in the house. And um, I just felt crazy. I had left my whole life in Los Angeles. And um, my sponsor was here. My, my family is here. You know, I've been dragging this kid around with me, my son. You know, not even really knowing who he was, because I was so consumed with myself and my body and my food and my, you know, my relationships and whatever. So, uh, so I, I went to an OA meeting. I was in Titusville, Florida. My God, <laughs> unbelievable! Really, it's a ville. It is. It's a ville. You know, and, and I'm a city girl. I've lived, I, I've lived in, in L.A. my whole life. And so it was a huge, like, change. And, and there's nothing wrong with living in a small country town. It's really actually very charming. But I want to go to the mall, you know what I mean? And, the, you know, everything was, like, at least 30 minutes away. Everything. So, um, anyway, that's not why I was binging. <laughs> but this relationship was crazy, and I, it was just, you know, it was just... We were very toxic. We were a toxic mix, and it really got me crazy. So I went to an OA meeting, and I heard this woman share, and I knew it. She was it. She was my sponsor. I knew it. And, uh, but I didn't want to talk to her yet because I, I didn't know if I was ready. And so cause I knew she was going to ask me to do things that I did not want to do. And I was, didn't even know what those things were, but I knew, you know. 
Yeah, we know. We know. We know that one when they're there. And so it took me about two weeks, and I finally, um, I finally called her, and she started me on a journey. And it was, you know, it was a very structured OA program. Now, I was out in Titusville, and it was all the recovery programs out there were very different. Like, the meetings were smaller than what I was used to, and the recovery was, it just looked so different, and I felt so alone and so broken. And when I found this woman, she reminded me of home. She reminded me of home. She was like, we go to meetings, we get commitments, we work the steps, we get into the big book, we, you know, all the stuff we do. We pray, we do all the stuff. And, um, and so I swear to God, that woman saved my life. She saved my life. She, she saved my recovery when I was out there. And um, I will be forever grateful to her. So she she had me start weighing and measuring my food. I, I weighed and measured my food, three meals a day, nothing in between. And I worked the steps out of the 12 and 12, and I went to meetings, and we did a big book study, and we did a 12 and 12 study, and it worked for me. It worked for me. I was free from my obsession with food, my body, and my weight. And I was in this hideous relationship, and I was abstaining. I mean, it was a miracle. At one point in, early on, it, it got really, really hard, and, um, and I wanted to stop. And I said something to my husband at the time, and he was like, you know what, Lisanne, just hold on one more day because I want to be abstinent now too. And so I was an example to him, and he got abstinent. He didn't get well, but he got abstinent. Um, I wasn't well either, trust me. So anyway, what ended up happening is that relationship ended, and I came home. And I tried to keep maintain my relationship with my sponsor long distance, but it was hard because there's a time difference. And and I like to see my sponsor in the room. That's just who I am and how I am. I, I, I want to be accountable wherever I go. And so I did the long distance thing for a while, but it started to stop working. And then I was sponsorless for a while. And I ended up almost throwing up not too long ago. Um, I, I came very, very close, and it was scary. It scared me a lot, and so I ended up calling Leslie again and asking if she'd work with me again. So that's where I am today, and, you know, I a lot of stuff, you know, my relationship with my son has changed immensely. One of the things I like to share about is how we got home from, uh, from Titusville. <laughs> we got home, and I was, um, I was talking to my son one day in his room, and he, uh, he was bending over getting something out of the closet, and he stood up. And he was like 6'2". And I, 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 it was like, I swear to God, it was like I saw him for the first time. And I thought, oh, my God, I was supposed to be raising a man the whole time, and I wasn't. And so I had an opportunity to start changing that. Um, my son and I have a very close relationship, and it's probably a little too close. I think that um, my my isolation, the way that I've isolated myself in my in my addictions, um, has has affected him. And um, but you know, I, I I started to you know I just started to do a lot of things differently. Like I stopped going to meetings during the week so I could be home with him. He was a senior in high school at the time, and he was graduating that year. And and so I made sure that I was home and I was you know helping him out with that. And I encouraged, started encouraging him to get his license, and I encouraged him to go to college. And he is a he is a great kid. He's a sweet kid. But I'll tell you what, he's not doing anything right now. It's making me a little nuts. But he's 19, and he's not working, and he's not going to school. And I struggle with that, knowing what to do about that. But a day at a time, we just you know I just show up in our relationship. I get to sponsor girls, and one of the things that's most important to me today in my abstinence is 
accepting my, my body and where I am in my life, who I am in this body today, just as it is. You know, I don't work a perfect program. I don't have a perfect body. There's nothing perfect about my life. But you know what? I'm happy. I am. And I'm so grateful to be free of, like, the self-loathing that I carried around with me in this, you know, in this particular disease. I hated myself all the time. And so I do the things that I need to do every day. I make sure that my food is clean. I make sure that I have food in my house that I can eat that's for me. And I, and I stay away from the things that don't work for me. I work the steps. I work with others. I go to meetings. You know, I share my experience, strength, and hope as much as I can, you know, and I don't do it perfectly. It's, it's, you know, we're all here, we're all struggling, and life is life. We just have to show up for it. So I'm really, really grateful, really grateful for this program. Thanks. I guess there's time for questions. Does anybody have any? Could you talk about your relationship with your higher power? Absolutely. Somehow that always gets left out. Talk about my relationship with my higher power. Thank you for asking that question. I, I, that's the one thing that I always forget to talk about, the most important part of the program. Yes, my higher power. It's, it's been um, something that has, has grown and changed over the years. You know, when I first started working in OA, I think that, I, you know, my higher power was really my sponsor and the tools of this program because I could see that it worked in other people. And I always I always hear, like, a spiritual message in the literature. So I, I use the literature a lot. I use people's shares. And, you know, as, as time has gone by, it's gotten more personal for me. It's less about what what is coming out of you and more about what's coming from within me. Prayer and meditation has not always been my strong suit. I, I do, I have conversations with God all the time, but it's usually on the move. Um, and, and sometimes I feel a little nuts because I actually talk. <laughs> I actually talk to God out loud, so that's a little weird. But, um, but it's just what works for me. And, you know, right now, and I, this is a little outside issue, but I do practice an outside, you know, religion, and that's a new experience for me. It's the religion of my family, and it's something that's been really interesting for me. You know, it just, it's, it's really about in this being, you know, seeking it. And one of the things I realized recently is that my faith is only as strong as how much I believe in it. If I believe there's nothing, then there's nothing. But if I believe just that there's a little something, it's a start, you know. And, and that it, I started to believe in this program, really, is what I started to believe in. And from there it grew and grew and grew. And today I, I believe it's gotten bigger. Like my God has gotten bigger. It's gotten stronger. I believe, like, I'm less afraid about my son. My son has always been a huge fear thing for me. Like, is he going to be okay? Is he going to be okay? And it's start like I'm starting to feel like it's going to be okay no matter what, you know, no matter what, it's going to be okay. I've been okay, you know. There's got to be something out there. There's got to be. So, anybody else? What do you do on a daily basis to keep yourself active in the program? Um, what do I do on a daily basis to keep myself active? Thank you for that question. I, uh, I read literature every day, and I have a very specific food plan for myself. There are things that I know I can't eat. My food, for me, because if my food's out of order, I'm out of order. <laughs> That's just how it is for me. If I put certain things in my body, 
it does something to my brain. And I don't know why that is, but it does. It, my brain just goes nuts, and I'm crazy, and I hate myself. I don't want to hate myself anymore. So I, there's, the road has narrowed around my food. It's, it's pretty, pretty structured. I take phone calls from sponsees. I, I make phone calls. And I go to a meeting pretty much every day. It's not, they're not all OA meetings because I'm in a couple of different programs. But I go to six meetings a week. And then I also attend church stuff and, you know, that kind of thing. And I talk to God every single day, every single day. So, and I'm, I'm, I'm usually in the steps, you know, I'm usually, I'm always like seeking, I'm always looking at my character defects, I'm always self-reflecting, probably too much, it might even go into self-obsession, but um, I just, you know, I just want to be content, and I want to be a good person, and I'm, and I'm not always, I, you know, I'm human, and I, and I have character defects, and that really is a problem for me, because I don't, I don't like character defects. You know, I want to I want to be open to people, so I'm constantly doing that whole self reflection thing as well. Thanks. I think that's it. Huh?